book of Daniel. I'm going to switch over to this, guys. By the way, I'll say this as well. Um, if you have a favorite song or something that you, you haven't heard in a while and you want it, uh, we'd love to hear some of us on a Sunday night or one of these uh, Sunday evening uh, sings that we're doing. I, I want to encourage you to write it down. Maybe write down the connection card. You put your name on it and you remain anonymous. I don't really care. Uh, we'll turn it in and uh, we'll see if we can't work it in one of these upcoming weeks. Uh, because we want to have some fun worshiping the Lord together tonight. God knows there's just thousands and thousands of wonderful songs. Uh, we won't tire of singing them all uh, before we get to eternity. And I don't know about you, but I love music. We just love music. Uh, I love it. How many of you love to sing, but you can't? You all are yourself short, okay? Um, but uh, I love coming together to sing in church. You uh, make joyful noise to the Lord. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do that. Well, I am, uh, I've been so prayerfully looking forward to our series through the book of Daniel. And we're going to begin a journey verse by verse through the book of Daniel uh, tonight. And I told Brother Reese, I won't be the only one preaching during this series. I'm going to get him up to preaching some of this series as well. And uh, he's a very capable preacher. And uh, somebody said, you know, let him have a turn again. I said, yeah, you're right. I'm just going to give him an opportunity to He's a great preacher. I do a great job too, by the way. And we're thankful for the job of being a good part of our church. And we worship here at the church. And we're nothing but a blessing so far. I could tell you some stories, though, that I would frame, right? Um, and uh, I'll let him tell you those stories. Uh, as we start the series, we do have these copies of the book of Daniel. I know most of you have your Bible, which is great. I encourage you to get one of these copies of the book of Daniel. Um, they have the, the text for uh, the book of Daniel in King James on one side of the, uh, of, the, of the book here. And then the other side is blank lines that you can take notes as we go verse by verse through the book of Daniel. Uh, a lot of times I pass out outlines, and maybe I'll start doing that during this series. Um, I'm just uh, approaching the, pres the presentation of this series a little bit different, uh, differently than I normally have. Uh, but I hope that this will be a tool for you. Many of you who are in small groups, your small groups are going to be going through the book of Daniel as we're preaching through the book of Daniel. And so this will be a great companion resource for you uh, to have to take your own notes um, while you're here, here when you do the work. Preached on Sunday while you study it yourself during the week, and then you come together in order to discuss the things that you've learned. I believe all of those will just greatly enrich our study and understanding of the book of Daniel. By the way, God has called us to be Bereans. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? The Berean church was a group of believers who they heard the word preached, and then they went home and they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. And that's why I like Brother Steve, who's Brother Steve Kelly. That's why I like his comment this morning. So I'm going to watch that series in the book of Daniel to make sure it's great. And uh, I like being challenged like that. I, I, think that, I think that anybody who is in uh, the ministry of teaching or preaching the Lord should be challenged by that. Because listen, I don't get it right all the time. And I don't act like I do. I study real hard. I work real hard to make sure that uh, what, I, what I communicate from the pulpit is coming from the scriptures. And I'm, an, I'm not an infallible man. I'm an infallible man. And I get along sometimes. And boy, through the years, I've had so many of you who have come to me and said, Pastor, would you think about this way? Uh, did you see this in the text? Even this morning. Uh, last year, so, who was it? It was uh, one of the people who wants 
and 600 years before the time of Christ, when Christ walked this earth. And so it covers the period of history from approximately 530 B.C. to 605 B.C. So that kind of lays a little bit of a historical context to where we're at as we approach this study of the book of Daniel, the book of Kings, because it covers the history of some very famous kings. But it's also a book of kingdoms. And it's a book of kingdoms because the book of Daniel covers some of the most, uh, most important prophetical truth in all the Bible. And it's not just a book of history. It's a book of prophecy. And in the second half of the book of Daniel, uh, chapters 7 through 12, take us on a journey beyond the confines of the time in which it was written. And it gives us a glimpse of what God's plan is for eternity. What God's plan is for the future of this world all the way up to the time when Christ returns, the second advent of Christ, and beyond that. And the second half of the book of Daniel is fascinating in its prophetic concept. Now, many of the prophecies that Daniel gave have already come to pass. And you can literally see, though Daniel gave them hundreds of years before they came to pass, you can see as history unfolds that the prophecies that God gave through Daniel did indeed come to pass. But not all of them have come to pass. There are still many of the prophecies that Daniel gave that have yet to be fulfilled, but you better mark it down, they will be fulfilled. And I like what W.A. Criswell uh, said on the subject. He said, you would think that Daniel was writing the headline for tomorrow's newspaper. And a lot of the things that you see unfolding in our day and time, they are just unfolding right from what God used Daniel to predict thousands and thousands of years ago. And I love studying prophecy, and I look forward to getting to that part of the book of, of Daniel. And so, because of its historical and prophetic nature, the book of Daniel is a, a very important book in the Scriptures. And I believe there is perhaps no other book in the Bible that has come under more attack or scrutiny than the book of Daniel. And I'll explain to you why. In the Old Testament time period, uh, uh, in the, in the period of time before, uh, in between when the Old Testament was written and the New Testament was written, they were putting together the Hebrew Bible. The Jewish rabbis, as they were composing that Bible, they refused to acknowledge the book of Daniel as a prophetic book. And so they placed it in the Hebrew Bible into a section, there were really three sections in the Hebrew Bible, and they placed it into the section of the Hebrew Bible called the Rangers. Um, the, the place where they put uh, the historical type of books in the scripture. Now, as we just said, Daniel is part history and it's part prophecy, but the reason the rabbis did not want to put the book of Daniel into the prophetic books and include it with the major prophets is because they, want, they did not want to receive the truth uh, that the book of Daniel communicated about things to come. And in fact, in the time of Christ, the uh, Jewish rabbis belittled the book of Daniel and taught their followers not to give it much regard, um, especially the last six chapters of the book of Daniel. Now, we can talk about liberal critics in our society today, people who want to reject the Bible, people who want to uh, refuse the truth that, that God has revealed to us. They love to go to the book of Daniel, especially early, earlier on in history, and try to say, well... The things that the book of Daniel claims are not uh, factually, uh, are, not, are not correct. 
Um, and uh, they would try to question um, uh, through archaeology, archaeological discoveries and whatnot, that the book of Daniel could not be true based on what we knew about history. Um, but as, uh, as, as it has always been proven over the course of time, more and more of our history has been dug up from this earth. And with every new finding, uh, we, we find that uh, more and more the, the, the uh, things we're discovering from history approve the fact that the book of Daniel is indeed true. And uh, you know what? Man can try to stand up against the word of God, but the word of God is true. And yet, let God be true in every other man alive, as the Bible says. And so many people have tried to discredit and to ignore the truth of Daniel. And I'll tell you, one of the primary reasons why is because if, if you can disprove the book of Daniel, then you could justify rejecting the truth that, that to put it frankly, it's very foreboding. Especially the, prophetic, the prophetical truth of the book of Daniel. You can prove it's not true and you can reject its truth. And that's what most of, if not all of the critics of the book of Daniel are trying to do. But suffice it to say, the authenticity of the book of Daniel has been proven and has stood the test of time. It is revealed truth from the Holy Spirit through the man Daniel. And it's still profitable for us today. Reminds me of what the Bible says in Romans chapter number 15. Look this up real quick. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4. The Bible says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The Lord has given us this truth, and He still desires for us to learn from this truth today. Now, who do you think authored the book of Daniel? Hey, you guys are real smart today, okay? Real smart. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit through the prophet, the man, the seer, Daniel. Of course, as many of you know, Daniel arrives on the scene of history and scriptures as a teenage boy. Most people uh, guesstimate he was between 13 and 15 years old. And he lived to be a very old man. And the fact that some people uh, also figure he was about 90 years old about the time that he passed away. And uh, he was taken to captain. Uh, during the, the first siege that was laid upon the, the kingdom of Judah, by the time he died, he had lived nearly the entirety of Israel's 70-year captivity that God had condemned them to. And uh, most people agree that uh, it's very likely that Daniel wrote the book of Daniel during the last decade of his life. And you can imagine an 80-year-old man sitting down as God moved in his heart and giving it him this history of things that God done in his life. Of course, the prophetic content, uh, that's something that God revealed to him uh, much earlier than that part. But it's just interesting in my mind to imagine this elderly man who God had used so much in his life, beginning to be moved with God to write these words that we're about to study together. This book is called Daniel. It's really not a book about Daniel. In this book, we don't know anything about, work, uh, about Daniel's birth. We don't really know anything about Daniel's death. There's a lot of parts of Daniel's life that we don't know anything about. Because this book is not a book about Daniel. Really, it's a book about God. It's about how God worked in the life of a man named Daniel and through a man named Daniel in the kingdoms of this world. And we're going to find over and over again it's emphasized that the book of Daniel is a book that's all about God. Now, who's being written to in the book of Daniel? As we study this book, we're going to find that there are really two different audiences. There is the people of Israel, 
the Hebrews, and then there is the world, the Gentile nations. Both are being written to in this book of the Bible, and perhaps this is not demonstrated more clearly in any other way than in the fact that the book of Daniel was actually written in two languages. Now, there's only a couple other books of the Bible that are this way, but uh, uh, we don't see this in our English translation, of course. Uh, but in the, in the beginning of the book of Daniel, in the ending of the book of Daniel, they are written in the Hebrew language. In fact, chapter 1 through chapter 2 and verse 3 are written in Hebrew. And then chapters 8 through 12 are all written in Hebrew. But the central portion of the book is not written in Hebrew. It's written in Aramaic. By the way, Aramaic was the common language of that day. It was the most well-known language of the time that Daniel lived in. And being that he was tutored in Nebuchadnezzar's school, he not only was well-educated in Hebrew, but he became very well-educated in Aramaic as well. And so chapter 2, verse 4, through chapter 7, and verse 28, are written in Aramaic. And I think this is important for us to understand, and this is the reason why. The beginning of the book of Daniel was a message that was geared toward the people of God. The ending, the prophecy, was a message that was geared toward the people of God. But in the middle, when Daniel switched to Aramaic, he was giving a message to the nations. Let me summarize what that message was. God's in control. The people of this world might think they're in charge, might think they can do what they will, but God's in control. Now I'm looking forward to studying that portion of this book of the Bible for that very reason. And so I think this is helpful for us to understand as we go through the book of Daniel and seeing who the audience is that is being written to. And so much like Daniel, we live as God's chosen people in a pagan society. And as we study the life of Daniel, we're going to see that Daniel's life teaches us how to live for God in a post-Christian culture. And this is so central for uh, central for uh, so important for us to understand as we begin this series in the book of Daniel. As the church, we can learn from Daniel what God's prophetic program is for the world, and as we do so, it will give us hope for things to come, hope for the future. And let's face it: with the time that we're living in today, it's very easy to get discouraged. But as we look at what God's plan is for this world, it ought to encourage our hearts. And these are some things we're going to learn as we study the book of Daniel. Now, I've said the book of Daniel is a book about kings and kingdoms. It's important to understand this. That above all the kings and kingdoms, there is the king of kings and the Lord of kings. And that's something that is, is communicated more clearly than anything else in the book of Daniel. I've chosen chapter, Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 22 as the key verses for this book of the Bible. I want you to look at, look at it with me here, if you would. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Here's what the Bible tells us. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. He changeth times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness. And the light dwelleth with him. Boy, Daniel gets crazy about for these things. We see literally it lived out in his life. He had great reason to praise God for being a God that reigns among the affairs of men. So this book about kings and kingdoms, it 
ultimately directs our attention to the King of Kings who reigns over all. And so with that being said, I told you it's going to be a little teachy at the beginning. Uh, we're going to continue on here uh, in, in the first little bit of the book of Daniel. And so turn to chapter 1, we're going to begin looking at verses 1 through 7 at the time that we have remaining here tonight. And uh, Daniel, in the beginning of his, uh, his book of the Bible here that God led him to write, he introduces to us what is going on in the history of the world at the time that this part, this part of Scripture began. So let's read verses 1 through 7, and we'll see what the Lord has to teach us here tonight. You're still with me. Say amen. The Bible says in verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, into Jerusalem, and besieged him. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, um, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, instead of nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to whom the princes of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. Let's take a minute to pray and ask the Lord to bless the reading of His Word. Our Father, we come before you tonight. Already, we uh, begin to dive deep into uh, introducing this wonderful book of the Bible. And now, Lord, as I take some time to preach this first part of the book of Daniel, I pray that you'll give liberty and clarity. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts as we look into what you have to teach us about living in a post-Christian and even pagan society. May we be faithful as Daniel and his cohorts were by your grace. And I pray, God, that we speak to our hearts as we study the scriptures tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Daniel lived in a period of history where believers were in the minority. And what we could say, a post-Christian culture was in the majority. People who believed in God and wanted to follow God's word were in the minority. People who were worldly, secular, pagan, against the ways of God, they were in the majority. Even among his own nation, that was a fact. And as a teenage boy, he was stripped away from his homeland and immersed into a culture that did not honor his God and did not respect his desire to live for his God. And literally, his whole adult life was lived under pagan leaders in the midst of a pagan culture that was ever trying to steer his heart away from the Lord. And as I think about what Daniel experienced, I cannot escape the reality that what he experienced is not so dissimilar from what we are beginning to experience even in America today. 
It was in 2008 that President Obama got up and gave a famous speech wherein he said these words, whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation. And from the time that that took place, and I'd say even before that time, more and more the culture we live in today has become not only a post-Christian culture, which is another term coined by Obama, and we would not only become a post-Christian culture, but I would venture to say in some respects we are becoming an anti-Christian culture. As you stand up and preach the truth of God's word in many respects and contexts in our nation today is now being considered hate speech. To say, thus saith the Lord, when it comes to issues like abortion or homosexuality or have what you may, is becoming in the day we're living in an unacceptable thing. And much as Daniel had to stand for God in the midst of a culture that did not respect his beliefs, that is becoming, I dare say, the type of society that you and I are living in today as well. We need to understand that we have much to learn from Daniel. And the resolute stand that he took for the Lord in the midst of a pagan culture. Our beliefs and values are continually being tested by the pagan culture around us. That does not like to be told how the Bible says we are supposed to live. And we're facing these things and I know you feel it just as much as I do. And yet, though Daniel lived in the midst of such a pagan culture... He resolutely stood in the midst of an ever-shifting, unstable culture and stayed faithful to the Lord. Not saying that the reason Daniel could stay faithful to the Lord was because in the midst of all the uncertainty and the difficulty that he faced, he never escaped one resounding truth, and that is God still in charge. And praise God, the God of Daniel is still our God today. He's still on the field. And that's the truth that we are. We, we have to cling on to. The Bible says in Psalm 103, in verse 19, The Lord has prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. And uh, I'm telling you something. Uh, as we face these uncertain circumstances, and it seems like every day there's a new threat, or there's a, a new suspicion of what could, what could happen, a legislation that could be passed against Christians in general. And if you live looking at all of those things, you'll live in fear, and you'll, 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 you'll live under continual uh, a threat in your heart. That's not how God intends for us to live. God wants us to ever keep in mind a fact that will hold us steady, regardless of what uncertain circumstances are going on in this world. And that is that our God reigns. Our God is still a sovereign God. He governs in the affairs of men, as, as Benjamin Franklin once put it. We can, we, can, we, can, uh, we can stand on that truth. And so as we watch Daniel and his friends stand for God in the midst of a pagan culture, we will discover how we should live for God in the midst of the pagan culture that we live in today. And I want you to notice with me five truths every believer must know about living in Babylon. Now, I know what time it is. And, uh, these aren't, this is not gonna, uh, I don't think it's going to take me very long. We've got to pray for our okay? Um, but I want you to see these very quickly before we're done. Because if we look at verses 1 through 7, we see these truths clearly communicated to us. Number one, if you take the notes, you can note this down. And by the way, let me just uh, give this as a uh, as for, for clarification. As we think about Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon, they're a picture of the world. The world system, this culture that is 
anti-Christian we've been talking about. As we think about Daniel, the people of God, represents believers in Christ. God's chosen people. I want you to understand that as we jump into this. So number one, the world seeks to destroy our heritage. The world seeks to destroy our heritage. It's very interesting that the book of Daniel does not begin on a positive note. The book of Daniel begins in defeat. In abject defeat. The last king of Israel is overthrown. Really, the last king of Judah. And in the book of Daniel, as we look at the first part of this book, the people of God and the nation of Judah, after years of rebellion against God, they finally faced the judgment they deserved when God allowed the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, to come and conquer them. Look at verses 1 and 2, because the Bible tells us about this. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God. And so here we see the last king of Judah, the nation of Israel, the divided nation. Judah was to the south and Israel was to the north. Israel had already been conquered hundred, uh, over a hundred years before by the nation of Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah, because they'd been more faithful to God, they hung on. Eventually they turned away from God as well, and eventually God allowed them to be judged for it. This was the last king of the nation of Judah. In fact, it's the last king that has set on the throne for the nation of Israel. And will be the last king until the king of kings comes again. All of this took place in a very sad time in Israel's history. We find that the last king's name was Jehoiakim. He was the last king to reign in Israel. And the Bible, it's interesting to me because the name Jehoiakim, it's a name that literally means Jehovah raises up. So, well, God didn't do a very good job raising him up. I think he did a great job raising him up. Because he raised Jehoiakim up to cast him down. <laughs> and the Bible says promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, but from the north or from the, from the south. But God is the judge. If he sets up one, he puts down another. Psalm chapter 75. God chose to have Jehoiakim put on the throne for the express purpose of him being the one who was the king when the kingdom of Judah was overthrown. And so in the year 605 B.C., history records that the kingdom of Judah fell to the kingdom of Babylon. And uh, at this point, we're introduced to the nefarious character, Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, uh, some people say the name differently than I do. Uh, you just have to forgive me. Okay? You can say it however you want. Um, but of course, I'm right and you're wrong, so do whatever. Um, but I'm just kidding with you. Nebuchadnezzar, history tells us he was known as Nebuchadnezzar the Great. Um, of course, by his own people and probably by his own choice. And he was the second king of the nation of Babylon um, in this period of Babylon's history. Uh, and also known in history as the greatest king uh, of the nation of Babylon in all of its history. Uh, his name in Aramaic means, May Nebo protect the crown. And uh, he took the throne after his father passed away in 605 B.C. And I have no doubt that his dad was the one who named him. Um, may their god, Nebo, it's a false god, protect the crown. In his time, Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful king in the world. And uh, we see that displayed very clearly on the pages of Scripture and through all accounts of history. Now, as I said, by typology, 
Nebuchadnezzar depicted the nation of Babylon are a picture to us of the world. The leadership of the world and the system and culture of this world. When Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon defeated Judah and the people of God, the Bible tells us they destroyed the temple, they destroyed the palace, they tore down their monuments, they tore down their walls, and really what they were doing was attacking the heritage of Israel. Now hang with me on this. We have a pagan kingdom overcoming the people of God, and one of the first things they begin to do is to tear down their heritage, to take away their history. The people of God were carried away in three different deportations. And each time the people of Babylon came back, they destroyed a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more of the people of God's heritage. But can I say this is exactly what our world is striving to do today? The world is trying to defeat us by stripping away our heritage. There seems to be an all-out war being waged today in our culture against our Christian heritage as believers, and in particular, our Christian heritage as Americans, too. And I think there could be an argument given for both of those. The, uh, there are attempts being made to rewrite the Bible, for example, and, and cut out core doctrines and core truths of the Scripture already uh, in, in, in existence today. There are history books that are being written, uh, public school curriculums in some respects that are being rewritten to exclude the Christian foundation upon which our nation was established. We have to ask, like the psalmist asked in Psalm 11, verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We're watching our heritage under attack by a pagan culture today. Also, think of what Mark Reagan said, not too distant past. He said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation We're finding this culture, this world is trying to destroy our heritage. Let me just give a word of application here. It is our responsibility to protect our heritage. We can sit here and rub on the plane about it all day. We have the answer already given to us in the word. In the word of God. God has told us it's our responsibility to pass on our heritage to future generations. We studied this in the beginning of August, but I'll read it again. Psalm chapter 22, verses 30 and 31. The Bible says, A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. And they shall come and declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that God has done this. We have a responsibility to pass on our heritage that, yes, is under attack. We've got a responsibility to pass it on to future generations. And that's what we're striving to do in the ministry of this church. That's what you ought to be striving to do in your home. And that's certainly what we're striving to do in the ministry of our Christian school. And so we see, number one, the world seeks to destroy our heritage. But I want you to see, number two, that the world seeks to deconstruct our faith. It seeks to deconstruct our faith. You see, after the kingdom of Babylon had conquered the people of God in Judah, I want you to notice the next thing they attacked. First, they start attacking their heritage, but verse number two tells us, And the Lord made Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God. Notice this, which he carried 
into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God, Nebuchadnezzar, after they began to destroy the monuments and the tokens of Israel's heritage. The next thing that started going after was the vessels in the temple. The instruments that the people of Israel would use in their worship toward their God. They immediately began to make attempts to deconstruct the faith of the people of God. The Bible says so living among these vessels. Right? You understand the Old Testament and how worship was enacted in the Old Testament. These vessels in the temple were very central to their faith and to their worship of God. What did they do with the vessels? We picked them up as soldiers carrying them back to Babylon. Where are you going? Is there The message was clear. The implicated message was clear. Our gods are greater than your Because if your God's so bright, then why did we defeat you? Why couldn't your God stop us from defeating you? They took their instruments of worship and they put them in the treasury of their false gods. Imagine what that did in the hearts and minds of the people of Judah. I'm sure that many of them began to question. Is this real? If God, if Jehovah God is God, then why would He let all of this happen? The world began to try to attack the faith of the people of God. This is still what the world is doing today. Listen to me on this. This is an important point. The world wants to take what is sacred and make it sacrilegious. And this has always been one of the devil's strategies and using the culture of this world to negatively impact us. The world wants to treat the Word of God and the Church of God with disrespect in this day. Satan has never been one to try to lie or belittle what God says to get people not to do it. I'm going to mention some practical things here. There used to be a time when Sundays were sacred in this country. The businesses were closed down. There used to be a time when Christians actually came to church on Sunday. Maybe I said that I'm going to preach the Bible, okay? There used to be times on Sundays were sacred in this country. There used to be a time when people actually dressed up for church. Listen, I'm not mentioning this from a legalistic standpoint. That was brought up in a culture where you show respect to the Lord when you gather worship. There's a reason why those terms like Sunday best. Some people give me a hard time wearing a shirt and tie. Let me tell you something. It's just the way I was brought up. I think there's something to it. Show respect to the house of God. Show respect to the work of God. There used to be a time when people took off their hats when they're in church. The kids got in trouble for running in the auditorium. I remember going up in church and getting in trouble. I remember getting spanked for running in the auditorium. I remember getting spanked if I wore my hat in the auditorium. I know it's just a room and the church is a people. It's not a building. But listen, this is about society trying to treats the things that we hold as sacred as There's an attack that's taking place in our culture. There used to be a time when alcohol was condemned by believers. So much that it was prohibited in America at one point. That's really not popular in America. I'm going to tell you something. The ways that our culture has begun to deconstruct our faith 
to begin to lead us to treat as sacrilegious things that should be sacred. Is that what's so sad? There used to be a time when people, if they heard the Lord's name taken in vain on the television, they turned off, they throw the movie away. They weren't going they to put up and hear their God's name taken in vain. Now we're listening to person, we're listening to God's name being taken in vain, and we're going to take us. You see the attack that's taking place in the The very real thing. What's changed? There used to be a time when these things were so. What's changed? Our culture has begun to deconstruct our faith. That's what's changed. They began to take the things we held as sacred and told us that we could treat them as sacrilegious. As I wrote this verse down, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus said, Give not that which is holy. Unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and raise you. Don't give them that which is holy unto the dogs. This is a pagan culture. Then it was faced with the difficulty of learning how to keep the things that God had told them were sacred as sacred. Remember, we're going to learn this in future weeks. The rest of Daniel's cohorts from Israel, they were given the wine of the king. They were given the food that he drank. They had no problem compromising their values because that's what the culture around them told us that they could do. But Daniel didn't get into it, did he? He decided he was going to hold to the things that he believed in. And that's an important aspect that all of us need to understand as well. By the way, I think this was interesting in my study. I found that if you look earlier in Israel's history, they had allowed sacrilegious or worldly things into their temple. They had, they had allowed idols and other sacrilegious things to be brought into their temple. So in the swing of poetic justice, God now allowed what was supposed to be sacred for, for them to be brought into a pagan temple. Let me just suffice it to say, we're running out of time. When we allow the world to come into the church, Palace 
and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Nebuchadnezzar, he brings these Jewish captives into Babylon. He talks to the man who's in charge of creating the officials for his court. He asks him to choose the best of the best among the Jewish captives. I mean, people who, they didn't have any physical defects. They were smart. They were good looking. They were ones who would look good and bring honor to the king and to his court. So I find what is most interesting to me in the group that Nebuchadnezzar was looking for is that he was looking for people of a certain age. What's the first one of verse 4? Children. His target group was children. Why? Because children are very impressionable. Nebuchadnezzar knew that if he could instill Babylonian culture, values, and language into the brightest children in Judah, he could corrupt the nation. He may not be able to do anything about the adults, but if he could change the children, he could change the nation. He understood something that we seem to ignore in our country today. He understood that the key to changing the value of the Jews was the shaping the paradigm of the next generation. And our world system is hell-bent on indoctrinating our children. It is a travesty that is taking place in our times. The world system controls our public schools, our public colleges, and all the institutions of learning that shape the minds and consciences of our young people. We just say this, I know and I'm fully aware that there are wonderful Christian people standing in the gap like Daniel in our public institutions and really striving to instill godliness into the hearts of these young people. And I admire them. And I thank God for those types of individuals. I'm not speaking to them, but I'm speaking in general. Satan is no fool. He knows the way to corrupt our nation is through indoctrinating our children. And it's happening in our time as well. This world, by and large, is opposed to parental influence in the learning of the next generation. And I failed to do it. I was supposed to do this. I actually have a video. It's about six years old now of a lady who was in charge of our public education system. And she stood up and she gave a speech, and in the midst of her speech, she said something along the line of these children, talking about the kids in our school systems, are our children, not your children. We're going to teach them the way that we want to teach them. And this is a very bold statement. And she went on to say some other things after that. So I listened to that video. I know it's not the mindset that everybody has in public education. But there is a group that certainly is that way. By the way, all education is indoctrination. Right? You are indoctrinating someone in the future. And uh, we, you make no mistake about it, okay? Uh, at Lighthouse Christian Academy, we are indoctrinating our people. We're teaching them the ways they do. And uh, that's what we're striving for in that capacity. Bodhi Bakum, he put it this way. He said, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home from
because that's what we're seeing happening in our time. I've talked to parents who in tears have said, I didn't raise them this way. I don't know where they were this. And I want to say, that breaks my heart. The people who, who struggle to raise their kids right, they go the opposite direction. You need to be careful about who's influencing your kids. If just as much as you want to train them right, there's a whole army equipped by the devil who is seeking to indoctrinate the next generation as well. You better believe that this world is trying to reconstruct our values and they are striving to do so through our children. Church, it is our responsibility to shape the values of the next generation. It's not the world's responsibility. By the way, parents, it's not even primarily the church's responsibility as an institution here. It is your responsibility as parents to teach your children in the ways of the Lord. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, so that when he's old, he will not depart from it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 says, The Lord said the things which I teach you this, this day, the things which I command you, they shall be in your hearts, and you shall teach them to your kids everywhere you go. And everything you do, teach your kids my ways. Teach your kids my truth. It's our responsibility. You've got to be aware that we have an enemy who is trying to reconstruct the values of the next generation. By the way, they're trying to reconstruct our values, too. We just have a little bit more discernment and ability to see through what they're trying to do. Not all of us. You've got to be so careful about this. I'm out of time. We're going to give you number four. Number four, the world seeks to undermine our identity. <coughs> the world seeks to undermine our identity. We go into the next verses here. Verse number, uh, verse number Six, the Bible says, Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. You know what, Nebuchadnezzar, the people of Babylon did to these Jewish captives? They said, you're not going to be known by your Christian name. You're not going to be known by your parent-given name. By your Hebrew name. I'm going to give you a name. And to Daniel, the name which means God is my judge, he became Belteshazzar. That literally means Bel. Some translate as Protector of the king. Bell, the god, the false god Bell, is the protector of the king. Hananiah, his name became Shadrach, a name that means by the command of Aku, the Sumerian sun god Aku. This is a pagan name. Mishael, it means who is likened to the Lord. Mishael's name became Mishael. Name which means who is what Aku is. Same Sumerian synagogue. Again, pagan men. Azariah, his name means the Lord is my helper. He was given the pagan name of Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo, another Babylonian false god. So another way that 
the society of Daniel's time began to try to tear apart their faith was when the world sought to undermine their identity. All of the names of these four individuals were Hebrew names that were honoring to God. Yet the culture around them tried to rename them, tell them they were something different than what they were brought up to believe. Tried to give them a pagan name, began to attack their identity, which was in the Lord. You better believe that that is still true today. The world is ever on the prowl, getting us to find, trying to solicit us to find our identity in anything but in Christ. I don't have time to belabor this as much as I like, but the world would love to give you a new name as well. The world would love for you to be focused on what your name looks like in your deployment. What your name looks like on a record book in, uh, uh, somewhere for your sports accomplishments. What your name looks like for any in every accomplishment that you could imagine in this world. The world wants you to focus and find your identity in anything but Christ. Because if that is so, You've lost your source of power, and they've already began to win. And I want you to turn in your Bibles, keep your place in Daniel, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. I want you to see what the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3, in verses 26 through 28. Galatians 3, verses 26 through 28. The Bible says this, For ye are all the children of God by faith, in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, I'm not talking about water baptism, I'm talking about salvation there, uh, uh, spiritually immersed into Christ, have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ. This world can try to give us all kinds of labels by which we could identify ourselves. What are your preferred programs? Captivity, slavery, defeat, 
And yet in the midst of all of it, we see someone's hand we might not expect. Verse 2. The Bible says, in the Lord in the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God gave Jehoiakim into his hand. This is a fact that we're going to see resounding all throughout the book of Daniel. God is still in charge. There's nothing that this world can try to do that God doesn't already know about. And that God doesn't already have under control. And that God cannot give you the strength to overcome. He's the one who is orchestrating all the details of this earth. And even though sometimes it seems like God is not in control, you better believe that he's working all these circumstances together for your good and for his glory. He's still reigning. He's still ruling, ruling. And the Bible says that God moved King Nebuchadnezzar against the kingdom of Judah. We don't have time to go there. But in several passages of Scripture in the Bible, that God actually refers to Nebuchadnezzar as my servant. Guess what? Nebuchadnezzar wasn't in control. He sure thought he was. And God says, no, this is good well. Proverbs 21, verse 1, the Bible says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turns it really so everybody God is God is ruling, and where he's not being allowed to rule, he's overruling in the affairs of men. You better believe that God's in control. I'm going to tell you something. We do not have to leave this place to feel it, saying, well, I just don't know what to do about this whole world is, is deconstructing our, our values, trying to destroy our heritage, and attacking our faith. Woe is me, I hope Jesus comes real soon. You can hope Jesus comes real soon. But while you know Jesus comes real soon, you can also have hope. It's about still in charge. We're going to see this time and time again as we study the book of Daniel. Yes, we have a world in conflict with us as the people of God. And yes, the battle is very real. And yes, we have suffered some defeats. But in the end, we know who wins. And yes, we Jesus. So let's have hope, church. While we're here, let's keep fighting. Let's keep fighting. Let's keep fighting for our kids. Let's keep fighting for truth. Let's keep preaching the gospel, even though it's not popular. Even though the world tells us we ought to be quiet. Even though a time may come when we face persecution for us. Let's, let's keep doing what God's called us to do. I'll leave you with the word of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58, where the Bible tells us this. It says, Therefore, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast. Like we'll see next time we gather together. Again, we'll keep saying that.